Hello, it's me, Chris. A couple of quick announcements before we start this episode. I mean, not really announcements. Basically, since the first batch of episodes launched, and this is obviously the first one to come out since that happened, I just have really wanted to say thank you to every single person who's listened and to everyone who's rated, reviewed, shared, talked about it. It's been amazing. It really has. So thank you very much to everyone who has supported this little production. Obviously, it's not making billions, but I didn't expect it to. I didn't really expect anything. And so having just a few people say that they like it has meant a lot to me. So really, thank you. I also want to say thank you to everyone who's gone out of the way to actually discuss some of the ideas from the show with me, which has included people on Twitter, where you can find me at Overthinkery1, on the uh, special Well Mage Discord Mage Chat, which you can get access to if you become a patron, more on that later, and even some people at my work, and that's really weird, because meat space and internet space is supposed to be, like, separate, but it's also kind of really cool, um, so thank you to my colleagues and friends, it's strange, but I quite like it. I've already had some good suggestions as well about stuff that I can do for future episodes, which is really, really helpful. Something I definitely want to implement is a short list of suggested further reading, for example. So I'm hoping I can start doing that from module two onwards, and perhaps at that point do a retrospective one for this first module on morality as well. Oh, and a triple a special thank you and whatever to our giveaway winners. Um, you might remember if you left a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or elsewhere, you could win some stuff. So in first place, the Midnight Mystic Mage Sublime Reviews won a hoodie. Uh, Pix1001 won a t-shirt. Adventure Rules won a mug. And Bill Tucker TSP, or the Thunder Mage, won a sticker and a magnet. I still think that's unbelievable for fourth place. You get two things. It's amazing. Anyway, thank you to everyone who left a review and entered the giveaway. To everyone who won, I really want to see pictures. Please send me pictures. I'll love you forever. And to everyone who hasn't left a review yet, if you could, that would genuinely be the thing you could do that would help the show the most. So do that if you can. I would appreciate it. Thank you. On with the episode. Kingdom Hearts is darkness. You're wrong, Xemnas. Kingdom Hearts is light. Well, I think you're both wrong. Kingdom Hearts is whatever the writers need it to be. <laughs> and then I've just written, Donald does that frustrated quacking thing. Y you know, this one. But I, my body can't make that noise, so um, just imagine I've done that. Thank you very much to Paul St. Peter, Haley Joel Osmond, Bill Farmer, and whoever voices Donald and Mickey for their appearances there. I think that really added some, you know, gravitas and legitimacy to this whole production. Welcome back to Philosophy Raga, the video game podcast by me, Chris, the sometimes vaguely philosophical mage. It's the majorliest gaming philosophy show on the internet. At least I assume it is, I haven't checked. I'll be very perturbed if there's another one, though. Over the last few episodes, we've been looking at morality. More specifically, we've actually been looking mostly at the area of morality that gets called normative ethics, plus a little bit of applied ethics. Normative ethics is the area concerned with what we ought to do and how we should behave and all that kind of thing, while applied ethics focuses on how to, well, apply those ethical behaviours to a range of practical situations. There is, however, a third column holding up the very large building that is moral philosophy, and that's something called meta-ethics. Now, to explain meta-ethics, I need to pass over to my special co-host for this episode. It's a haggard old woman who used to run a bagel shop. Yeah, this is the episode where I do voices. It's a new show, I'm trying stuff out. This will probably never happen again. Well, old bagel woman? Well, you know, it's like, it, it's all about whether being good is even real or whatever. You know, 
my nephew got a video game for Christmas in 1986. Thanks, old bagel woman. <laughs> I'm never doing voices again. What she means by that is that we've looked at how we're supposed to know what the right thing to do is and what it means to be a good person, but we haven't really considered whether concepts like right and wrong really exist. Oh, this is classic philosophy. Is it even real? It sounds like it could be nonsense, but bear with me, it does mean something, I promise. Intuitively, I think most of us think that right and wrong really do exist, but the question that Metaethics really wants to get into is, what is goodness and what is it like? And moreover, how can we know? It's a simple question, but I find it kind of hard to even process the meaning sometimes. What, what do I mean if I ask whether good's real and what good is like? It's, it seems obvious, but you start thinking about it and your mind just starts going down this strange well where you're not sure if anything means anything anymore and that's just not helpful. There have of course been a whole bunch of different answers and ideas and arguments about this, but as always, I kind of want to keep to a really basic foundation here and not try to do too much at once, so here's the question I'm concerned with for today's purposes. Does good exist independently of humans? In other words, if I'm trying to work out the right thing to do, am I discovering what a true good moral principle is like and then applying it, or am I inventing the principle? Now, in the Kingdom Hearts universe, and you knew I was going to get Kingdom Hearts before too long, so don't at me, there exist real, tangible entities. There are properties called light and darkness. These aren't just qualities that people attribute to things. Someone doesn't just point at something and go, that's light. Light and darkness are actual objects in their own right. They're things that physically exist and can be studied, manipulated, touched, used. Characters in the Kingdom Hearts universe get absolutely obsessed with trying to break these things down, work out what their essence is, learn as much as they can about them. And they tend to get really zealous about devoting their efforts to one or the other, light or darkness. Master Xehanort, who's been the main bad guy of the franchise so far, is pretty keen that darkness is the best while on the other hand you have Master Ericus, who's sort of his foil, and he's just as dead set that light is the only good thing. Turns out, both of these points of view are kind of radical and both just as bad as each other. In fact, Xehanort's plan eventually turns out to be to do with bringing balance between light and darkness, so maybe he's not so bad after all. It's just that it would have to be, you know, all the darkness would have to do some stuff first because light has a bit of an advantage in the first place or something. But I digress. The point is that light and darkness in the Kingdom Hearts universe are things that are separate from people's perception of them. They're independent from humans or what humans think about them. To oversimplify things again a little bit, let's say light good, darkness bad. Generally speaking, the good guys are on the side of light and the bad guys are on the side of darkness, so we'll do it that way. Anyway, we might say that what this means is that doing good in the Kingdom Hearts universe is doing things which are in accordance with light, and doing bad is doing things which are in accordance with darkness. If you're doing an action that isn't associated with either light or dark, then it's morally neutral. So there's a kind of physical reality to morality in this universe. There's something that actually defines what good is and what bad is, and it's fixed, it's definite, it's separate from what we think about it. Good and bad aren't relative things like, I don't know, attractiveness or the intelligibility of someone's accent, which are qualities of things relative to and dependent on the person observing them. Instead, these are separate, universal things which don't change for nobody. <laughs> That's a pun, kind of. Moral realism is the real-world philosophical position that asserts something like this is true for us too in our world, not just for Sora and friends. There are a few kind of subsets of moral realism, but broadly speaking the idea is that there are objective moral properties which have to do with objective features of the world. 
Now, these properties could be possible to reduce to non-ethical facts. So, in other words, we might be able to derive an objective moral truth by starting with certain knowledge about something else and then making a logically sound argument from there. Or they could be irreducible things that just are moral properties of the world by virtue of that's the way the world is. I'm not sure which is the case in Kingdom Hearts, actually. If it's the former, then maybe good and bad are objectively possible to derive from knowledge about light and dark, which aren't themselves things that's immoral in nature. If the latter, then light and dark just are those moral entities. Moral realism falls under the banner of cognitivist metaethics. This is the broader idea that moral statements are capable of meaningfully being true or false. To go back to an example from an earlier episode, let's say that I say this. Killing little girls to harvest magical sea slug juice is wrong. A cognitivist position is one that says this is a meaningful statement and I can analyse it as being correct or incorrect, true or false. For the moral realist, it's about whether killing little girls has or is associated with the objective property of wrongness which exists somewhere in the universe. The opposite of cognitivism, of course, is non-cognitivism, and we'll come to that in a second. It's worth noting, though, that you can be a cognitivist and still think morality is relative rather than being objective. In other words, you might think morality is shaped by cultures, traditions, that kind of thing, and that to say something is right or wrong isn't to express a real truth about a universal fact of the world, but just to say that it does or doesn't cohere with the framework of the culture. There have been some famous ideas which have elaborated a little bit on the idea of how morality might have come to be if it's not objective in the first place. This is actually getting more into political theory and philosophy, but Thomas Hobbes wrote a famous book called Leviathan in which he talked about the state of nature. His conception was that men, by which he meant humans, are by default just kind of terrible, and that if we hadn't come up with some sort of framework of rules, then our lives would be poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Meanwhile, John Rawls, who's a relatively modern philosopher by philosophy standards, came up with an idea called the original position and the veil of ignorance, and I bring this up even though it's not strictly meta-ethical because I do think it's relevant today, and I also think it's interesting. In Rawls's idea of the original position, we have to imagine a society in which none of the individuals know anything about their personal circumstances and have to come up with their own rules and policies. For some reason, a bunch of people have gone into a room, forgotten who they were outside, including all the details about how much money they have, what they look like, what gender they are, how old they are, all of that socioeconomic stuff, and they have to work together to come up with the rules that the society should follow. Rawls argues that without the ability to be self-interested, because we don't know what's going to benefit us, the only sensible thing to do is to protect the vulnerable and try and provide equal opportunities for as many people as possible. So, you can see how this is a relativist account of how morality might come to be, but it remains cognitivist because you can truthfully say that something is right or wrong in the context of a moral framework. The framework exists, it's just been defined by a human as opposed to existing somewhere out there. Before we go from cognitivism to non-cognitivism, somewhere else in the middle ground is something called cluster theory, in which to say good is meaningful, but does have a slightly different meaning depending on context. It's like how when we describe someone as healthy, we might be referring to a few different things which might belong to a cluster of properties that we think of as healthiness. So if we say someone's healthy, they might be unhealthy in one way, but healthy in another. Oh, and by the way, by the way, if you're a follower of the Abrahamic religions at least, which is to say Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, then you probably, almost definitely, believe that there are objective moral values, and that those values either come from the god of your faith, or are identical in some way with that god. Arguably, when it comes to meta-ethics, god is kind of the ultimate objective moral value or value-setter. So, as we mentioned, the opposite of cognitivism, perhaps unsurprisingly, is non-cognitivism. If you're a non-cognitivist, then you might think that the statement, killing little girls is wrong, is basically devoid of content. 
And what you might mean by that is that when I say killing little girls is wrong, I'm not actually communicating any facts about anything so much as simply saying, killing little girls, boo. And that's me expressing a feeling or having an emotional reaction rather than saying something that relates to anything factual. Alternatively, what I'm saying behaves like a factual linguistic statement, but just happens to be about fictional ideas and therefore doesn't make sense. It's like saying colourless green ideas sleep furiously. Or, alternatively alternatively, if I'm saying killing little girls is wrong, then what I'm actually saying is just don't kill little girls. So statements that seem to be about moral things become implicitly commands rather than facts. You know, sometimes moral debates in Kingdom Hearts really do boil down to darkness, boo, light, yeah, or don't do that darknessy thing, ugh. I mean, take the ending of the first game. Spoilers incoming, by the way. Ansem and Sora are hanging out in front of the door to Kingdom Hearts, which is, I mean, no one knows, but it's like a big thing, never mind. Anyway, Ansem says, Kingdom Hearts, fill me with the power of darkness. And Sora's like, you're wrong, I know now, Kingdom Hearts is light. And then Ansem's all like, light, and explodes, or whatever. Oh, by the way, the well-read mage himself did a fantastic impression of that specific bit when I was on Magecast talking Kingdom Hearts with him, so you should go listen to that. Anyway, I think that conversation between Sora and Ansem basically goes something like this if you boil it down. Ansem says, Darkness, yay! And then Sora goes, Darkness, boo! Light, yay! And then Kingdom Hearts just so happens to prove Sora right, but really it could have gone either way. You can also think of all the stuff that happens in Birth by Sleep, which is a Kingdom Hearts prequel game, in which nobody seems to make any effort whatsoever to establish whether there's any actual facts to the moral statements that people are making. A character called Terror is the first one to show up in most of the worlds that the cast visit, and usually the first thing that he does is meet a bad guy who goes, evil things, hooray! Terror doesn't really consider this, but just kind of goes with it, almost as if there aren't any facts to evaluate at all. Later when his friends Aqua and Ven see what he's done, they'll basically just go, Terror's evil stuff, boo! Which isn't all that persuasive, and so they only end up getting drawn further apart. And then, of course, you have Xehanort and Ericus just boo, yay, light, darking at each other and getting absolutely nowhere. Because they're not really presenting arguments so much as just expressing their feelings about something in a totally non-factual way and trying to tell the other person that they should feel the same way for some reason. Given that the Kingdom Hearts universe is made up of lots of different worlds, I wonder whether each of the worlds has different objective moral facts. Maybe you have light and darkness as the ultimate things behind all of it, and then there are more specific things. Maybe, like, the Hundred Acre Wood has Christopher Robin as the ultimate decider of moral values. Although, this does raise the question of whether those values would actually be objective, or a source of subjective which is still universal because he's omnipotent and is divine slash a dictator. Who knows? I mean, I reckon Christopher Robin rules with an iron thumb. Meta-ethics is a huge field that covers an awful lot of different ideas, so as ever, I hope that if it seems like something that might interest you, then you'll go online, do some research, find out a little bit more about some of the details that many philosophers have gone into over many, many centuries. I don't have the time or the intelligence to go into all of the intricacies of all the arguments and be super comprehensive, but hopefully I've let you know that these ideas are out there and now they're for you to go and explore. Now this is the final instalment in the first module in Philosophiraga's curriculum, it was on games and morality. The next chunk of episodes will be about epistemology, which sounds like a fancy word, but really it's just about what we know and how we know it. Before we get there though, I'm hopeful that at the end of each module I'll be able to find a guest to chat to and to wrap up the content we've covered over the last four episodes via an informal interview. So with any luck, I'll be able to get someone interesting to talk to about morality. 
In the meantime, here's a question that you can think about. You can discuss the questions with me by contacting me on Twitter at overthinkery1, or indeed contacting at the Wellred Mage, who is my corporate overlord and rules overall. We have reddit.com slash the Wellreddit page. There is obviously the Wellreadmage.com where you can leave comments and talk to people about stuff. And if you're really interested in these things, and if you really enjoy the show, then the best thing you could possibly do would be consider becoming a patron of the Wellred Mage on Patreon. Those who pledge over $5 a month, which is, I don't know, fewer pounds than that, get access to Mage Chat, which is a Discord channel where I've had genuinely some of the best conversations I've ever had with anyone in my whole life. And it's full of people with lots of different views, but who just happen to all be able to think really well about stuff. So if you'd like the chance to do that, then you can do that. Patreon.com slash the Mage is the place to go. I'm also not exaggerating when I say that this show would not exist if it weren't for the people who back the show on Patreon. So thank you to everyone who already has. Thank you to everyone who's considering doing it in the future. And thank you to you, even if you don't, because now you'll feel guilty and now you will have to. Anyway, I promised a question to discuss, so here it is. When I say, this thing is good, do I just mean I approve of it? If I say something's bad, am I just saying I disapprove? Or am I making a different statement about something separate? If so, what is the separate thing? In other words, is there anything objective about a thing that actually tells you whether it's good or bad? And if so, what is that thing? That was a long and layered question, but feel free to think about it one question mark at a time. In fact, I've already had some discussions on the topic. I asked the Twitterverse for some thoughts about whether humans determine or invent values, or whether they exist separately from us. A couple of responses, including at Tomaki Weekly and our friend and esteemed giveaway winner at Bill Tucker TSP, presented the Christian perspective. We're created in the image of God, and goodness effectively just involves adhering to God's plan for us. We can maybe get better at adhering to that plan by using things like reason and empathy, but we're never going to be able to achieve the full level of perfection. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try, of course at the Backlog Odyssey suggested that humans do manufacture values, but they're devised in line with our natural behaviours and tendencies. We empathise with others, and so we try to protect them, or maybe we try to set examples for them to protect ourselves. Similarly, at Playjack Say Back suggested a mix of empathy and simple trial and error. You try an action, see what hurts people, and then avoid doing that again. And the final one for now, representing in her own words the secular view, my friend at Athena Visa suggests that while values can change across cultures, there are some values that are just so hardwired into us for survival that we can start to think that they come from somewhere else with a capital S capital E, and that being good is ultimately just the name we give to protecting the cohesion and productivity of our community. Being nice to others, not taking more than we need, working hard, even believing the same things as other people, are all things that contribute to the success of a group, and therefore, way back when, these would directly have made the individual more likely to survive. You know, if there's anything that I'm most proud of about this show so far, apart from the fact that I've just made it in the first place, it might be that I've already managed to get contributions from, and have discussions with, people who represent multiple different viewpoints. The point of this show from the very start has been to present philosophical ideas and think about them, but not to try to persuade. People are different, we have different perspectives. If we weren't, it'd just be, like, really boring. So stay different. Have different perspectives, have different thoughts about things. If there's anything I hope philosophy can do for you, it's really just being able to think about your own perspectives and the reasons that you hold them, and then be able to listen to other people's perspectives as well without judgement. If you can have a good conversation with someone who believes something different than you do, and neither of you are trying to persuade each other, then I think you're winning. So keep doing that, and I hope you'll come back for more Philosopheraga next time.
thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Philosophy Raga. The show is written, edited, and produced by me, Chris Durston, with invaluable help from consulting producer Moses Norton. All the music you hear is by me, except for the terrible arrangement of Dearly Beloved that I did for the start, and that tune is by Yoko Shimomura. The show's logo is by Moses Norton with graphic design from BioWisdom Designs. The show's part of the MageCast family, and if you enjoy listening to in-depth discussion about games, then the other podcasts in the family, MageCast and SideQuests, are definitely for you, and you should go and listen to all the episodes right now. The well-read mage's dream of a better future for gaming discussion and community is genuinely made possible only by your support, so please do give Philosopher Raga a like, follow, review, or share. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your cat. Cats Cats aren't that social, I don't think, so they probably won't tell anyone else, but at least they'll know. And if you consider supporting us with a monthly pledge of any amount on patreon.com slash thewellreadmage, I will personally induce a state of altered consciousness in you and rewire your brain so you can control all matter at will. That's my promise. This particular flame is turning to embers for now, but the fire of wisdom never dies. Bye!